you want to get the latest news about our podcast, including upcoming episodes, exclusive content, and live events, visit itsalljournalism.com and follow the link at the top of the page to subscribe to our weekly newsletter. A lot of the work that we do involves some of the fringe networks and closed networks that companies have no idea that there's even conversations about their brands or their executives that are bubbling up. And some of them can be as serious as, as organized boycotts and mobilizations around, you know, brand attacks that they just don't even know exist. In a world of endless tweets and faceless bots, how do you know who to trust online? This week, we talked to someone whose job it is to help companies manage risk and protect their brands in a volatile digital environment. I'm Michael O'Connell, and this is It's All Journalism. Welcome to It's All Journalism. I'm Michael O'Connell, here with another podcast about digital media. How good is your company's reputation? Today, we're going to be talking about media reputations with Carrie Henniger, the Global Vice President of Sales, Risk, and Reputation at Storyfill. Welcome to the podcast, Carrie. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for having me. So before we get talking about brands and reputations, let's talk a little bit about your journalist journey. Actually, before we turn on the mics, we were talking about the fact that you're at Storyfill and you kind of feel like you're in the in the right place you, you ought to be. But you actually started in a more traditional journalist role is in front of a, a, the TV camera. Isn't that correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, you, I did. That is correct. Can you tell me about that, how you got from there yeah. to where you're at now? Yeah, I I really look back on that part of my career fondly. I internshiped at a CBS affiliate when I was in college, and then they actually brought me on for a full-time position, which I guess is great because I was doing an okay job. So I worked there for a little over two years, and I really kind of look back and and when I look at my my career path and some of the successes I've had along the way, foundationally, I can look back and really point to some of the experiences I had there, things like basic things like listening. So uh, in the work that I do today, I need to really listen to my clients and understand what business challenges they have. So having the ability to sort of sit and really intently listen so that I can respond or ask another question, all of that really started to be built out at a very young age because in the career that I was in, certainly needing to think fast on your feet. (laughs) You know, that was something that I, and, and then I guess going back to my, what I initially mentioned about questions, you know, not being afraid to ask hard questions. I think oftentimes when I'm working with clients, they are in situations, which I know we'll get into a little bit later, where they could be in reputational crisis or they have a massive business challenge that they're trying to solve. It might be a, a good opportunity, too, a, a reputational building opportunity. But having the ability to ask tough questions and really listen to the response and be consultative around how you answer them and how you kind of make the connection is really important. And I think I learned a lot of that at an early age. And then obviously having the just the general experience of how a news desk works I was old school. We had I, I did producing on the weekends, but did line producing as well as producing of the shows on the weekends. So that was a high stress environment. You know, having to be in the ear of the the weather uh, man and the you know the sports sports lead and just having to count them down to commercials. So really stressful experience. But then also having the ability to produce shows and write to help write them and edit them and really you know kind of get to the meat and what mattered. And, and then, of course, the on-air experience, which you can't really compare to anything else. It's uh, adrenaline rush. You got to know your stuff and really kind of fun, but but definitely a, a, could be stressful at times. Good stress. What's nice about a, a position like that is you get you get the whole picture. I mean, from from beginning yeah. to end, you're, you're a storyteller when you're in front of the camera, but you're also helping 
with, you know, the editing, researching the, you know, just all of the entire process of getting the content on the air. So you get to see the whole package put together Absolutely. And, and work, which, which can be fun. What was the moment or were, was it many moments that sort of got you into the, the marketing side of the business? Yeah. So I think to your point, actually, that you just mentioned, it's just so funny. It's storytelling. It was just exactly what I was doing. When you're in news and you're getting response, you know, you have lists of questions and you're getting responses or, you know, in, in our day and age data, if you say back, how do you piece together all of that to create a story that's going to connect with others? And it's going to help them to understand or digest the main narrative. And that's really, for me, that's kind of what marketing is all about. And, you know, having that ability to bring together the, what the most important elements of, if you're talking about a brand, a brand story so that they can better connect with the audiences that they're trying to reach. And one of the things, I mean, being, being a journalist and, you know, being on the editorial side, you know, when I get in conversations with people on the sales and marketing side of our business, I always forget, you know, when they're talking about their customers, they're talking about, you know, the people, the advertisers or the people they're creating products for. For me, you know, the customer is the user, the, the end user. And, and so mm-hmm. our approaches are really different. What, what are your thoughts on that, on how, how they're similar, but also maybe how they're different? Some similarities are, as a journalist, you're trying to get, you're sort of trying to break through the noise or break through the clutter. You want your headline to be read. So creating things like a compelling headline to get attention of your audience. And then you want to be able to have a simple narrative or a digestible kind of story that's going to help the reader get to the point quickly. You know, I think good journalism, you're not, you're, you're telling the facts, but you're hoping that the, the, the reader will be able to form an opinion on their own, you know, and, and that's kind of part of the journey. And then ultimately you, you know, the outcome could be one way or the other, but you've told the fact. I think with marketing, you're also trying to cut through the clutter, you're trying to get attention, you're trying to do eye-catching, you know, headlines or images, videos, whatever it might be, catchy phrases, could be long-form content, but you're, you're doing it with the intent of laddering back to the brand's kind of core mission statements or values that they're trying to convey. So it's, I would say, a little bit more, you're more likely to rely on, I think, the end consumer, if you will, in journalism, that relying on them to formulate an opinion. I think with marketing, you might be helping them a little bit further along the way to make that opinion kind of hit home. Yeah, that does make that does make sense. <laughs> they're they're the same, but they're very different. They're different, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. So this department that you're that, that you helped to sort of found the sales risk and reputation. What's the sort of the scope of that? I mean, I think we kind of touched on you know with marketing and sales, you're, you're trying to you know create a product, get somebody else's brand out there. But where, where does risk and reputation come into it? Yeah, so it's really about, it's kind of working with our clients to understand their business challenges and help them both build their brand or build their brand equity or build their reputation at the same time, helping them mitigate, you know, reputational risk. So they could be already working with us on programs to help build their brand. And then there could be a crisis that hits where we'll mobilize and, and kind of jump in and get an understanding of what's happening. And from what you know about the company, you know, our access to incredible data sets through the social media networks that we have access to allow us to kind of hit the ground running there to have more of a holistic opportunity to get all the sort of data points in. But it's really our editorial judgment that we employ, the fact that we are a company made up of of journalists, founded by journalists um, and content strategists that know social media like no one else, and we know the nuances of it, 
we can deconstruct and really find the truth that lies in the context of that data and deliver that to clients. So at the end of the day, I think in the last, you know, 10 years, but really in the last year and a half to two years, we have seen massive changes with the way people are consuming news and information for that matter. And the things that brands need to worry about today compared to even two years ago are, are vastly different. Could you sort of give us an idea of what types of things we're talking about? I know we've talked a lot about on the, on the podcast about uh, the trust in media. Mm-hmm. I would imagine that's a lot of the same concerns that companies might have out there with it, whatever their particular brand is, is, is how it is is being perceived on, on all these different platforms. Is that is that what you see is is sort of changing? Yeah, I mean, that's part of it. There's there's kind of a couple different tenets. I think that the, the weakening of news brands, the effects of social media and search engines, the fact that people sometimes can't even remember where they got news stories from because they just get it from their social feeds, which really erode, can erode quality and obviously the credibility that's been established by some of these these brands for hundreds of years. And then also the obvious thing here is that it's really easy for a bad actor to come in and pose as, you know, the Idaho Guardian or some name of a different, um, you know, a made-up publication and pose as being a news outlet and have fake news, which can be, you know, I don't need to tell you, <laughs> extremely detrimental to a brand and the executives. And it's funny that we're having this conversation now because not just a half hour ago, uh, the editor here at Federal News Radio, where I work, came to me and said, hey, there's this website out there that, that's running my story. It's not linking to our content. Have you heard of this company? And I was like, oh, I haven't heard mm-hmm. of this company. And I looked into it and I asked around to some of the people I know online, have you ever heard of this company? It appears to be some sort of an aggregator that, that is aggregating content from lots of different publications. We're not the only ones, but it was you know, this mm-hmm. was our story that we noticed. And that, you know, that creates a lot of problems for our brand because mm-hmm. on the one hand, you know, from a strictly editorial, you know, web standpoint, yeah, we want to make sure we get the clicks that are coming from that. But if somebody is sort of basically hijacking our content and putting their banner on the top of it without any link back or any, you know, idea of where that sourcing comes, I mean, you know, that's that's stealing at the very least. But it also And loss of control, Michael, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we don't know yeah. what we don't know what their agenda is or what they may be using it for. They may have you know, they they borrow a hundred stories from lots of different outlets and they pre- present them out there as their theirs mm-hmm. to sort of establish mm-hmm. them as ha- having some sort of reputation. But you know, maybe it turns out that they're not. Maybe they are they are a bad actor, like you said, and they've mm-hmm. got other means, mm-hmm. other ideas that they want to do, and this is just a way for them to do it. Is that something that you've you've heard of before? Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, did they manipulate that content along the way, and you just you lose control? And so I think that point exactly when I mentioned that brands have to worry about things nowadays that they really didn't even exist five years ago. If you think about a brand marketer, for example, uh, or communications team, you know, they they knew they planned in advance, they had a strategy, they worked with their agencies, they knew what content they were going to put out. It was all within their control. They knew what billboards they were going to put out, what TV commercials, even when social started, they had a bit more control. Now there are literally billions of pieces of content that exist on social and to your point online, just digital media in general, that they themselves had nothing to do with creating. And it's a complete loss of control. So how do you stay ahead of that? How do you monitor that? How do you even keep track of it all? It's an absolutely, I mean, for some of these departments, they're just not equipped. It's an onerous task that they can't even begin to even know 
you know, we've worked with companies before because a lot of the work that we do involves some of the fringe networks and closed networks that companies have no idea that there's even conversations about their brand or their executives that are bubbling up. And some of them can be as serious as, as organized boycotts and mobilizations around, you know, brand attacks that they just don't even know exist. So it's, it's very, it's a complete different world um, that we exist in today, you know, for, for reputational risk for cl- our clients that we work with. Right. And then actually, you know, maybe something bad happened. Uh, maybe something unfortunate happened with the company. Something occurred, maybe a news story, big or small, that suddenly becomes a much bigger thing because people decide they want to target them. That suddenly through, mm-hmm. you know, maybe bots that they, they have lots yep. of people talking on social media negatively about it. I, I was at a presentation a year ago and this was after the, uh, all that issue with United with the passenger who was hauled off. And they were mm-hmm. talking a lot about, you know, suddenly there was this huge influx of, uh, you know, activity on social media. And it was unclear as to where that was coming from, whether, mm-hmm. it, whether it was legitimate people who were sort of upset about it or whether it was something else that was going on or whether it was something that, that people had decided to target the company. A hundred percent. And that's actually some of the work we do too, Michael, is we'll tell them in some cases, give them peace of mind. This happens so frequently. I can't even tell you that. And this is why what we do is so different than a lot of social media dashboards or listening dashboards that might be out there because without the context of knowing that, well, yeah, that may have gotten 100,000 likes, but it's all among the same people. They're all talking in an, an echo chamber, and it doesn't matter. They, they're not engaging. No one else is engaging with them, or they, like you said, they could be bought. So without that context, you know, an executive could go to the media and start talking and, and you know, make a wrong play or, you know, use language that might not resonate because it's not even an issue. And then they're just sort of putting themselves in reputational crisis when there, there was not a need to even react to it. So that's so much of what we do is providing that peace of mind and the context, which is so important nowadays to have. So how does how does Storyfill, you know, service their customers then? What is what is it they do in a situation like that? So what we'll do is, and we, we work with our customers in a number of different ways, where for many of them we'll do sort of ongoing monitoring. Because we do, I know we're talking a lot about crisis now, but we do do quite a bit around reputation building. So how do you use insights from social media to really understand your consumer base? Maybe it's around, it could be around your reputation in a positive way. So maybe you say you stand for these five things on your website, but when we, when we actually take a look and see what the consumer perception is, they, they think you're not doing a great job in these three areas, but you're doing an okay job in these two areas. So like to my kind of, I don't mean to use the word um, echo chamber again, but I think sometimes, That's okay. you know, these companies are kind of drinking the Kool-Aid and they don't realize that. They think they've done the good job of putting all these this material out, but people aren't reacting to it or engaging it, or they're maybe not practicing what they pe- preach or walking the walk, walking the, the walk that they're talking. So I think a lot of times that's a good wake-up call for them, and we can help them really work to build upon their reputation or change a narrative so that they are, you know, seen in the way they want to be seen. So ongoing work or reputation, and then of course there's monitoring around risk. So we would alert them if we found there to be a change in velocity. So if there's something that looks abnormal to us, like something is being said about this brand or, you know, even in their industry or an executive that looks strange to us if we're monitoring, so we'll know that if there's a big spike in velocity, we'll go in and we'll forensically look at the content to look for, just like you said, bots, 
We'll look at kind of geographically where are they located. We have a number of different forensic tools that we imply. A lot of it's around veracity. So are these people who they say they are? You know, really getting, again, the context before we can, you know, tell our clients that this is something that they actually need to pay attention to or on the flip side that they don't need to worry about. We work with crisis is a huge part of what we do. So a lot of that work can then ladder into post-crisis. How did these messages land? Did your narrative hit home? Did people actually believe you when you said that you were sorry or that you, um, you know, you didn't know about this, this, this situation? So a lot of that is post-analysis and then helping them, again, rebuild. So we really can work with them holistically throughout their whole program in terms of communications and marketing. So are there any particular types of mistakes that people make when they come to this sort of environment now? Because I keep thinking back about, you know, before the Internet, when, when people had, you know, TV and radio and they had had print where they were, you know, they could sort of craft their their message mm-hmm. about that and then go to their audience through focus groups and, and, and get feedback that way. But here, you know, these things go out in this environment and they have a life of their own. Yeah. On the one hand, now they have this ability to track what, you know, what people feel and think about their product and whether they share mm-hmm. it and they, they're able to create these dialogues. But I would think that that would be really super challenging to try to get on top of all of that. I think it's not like a, a couple of things I'll say. Number one, you can't really set it and forget it. So a lot of companies might think, well, we did this analysis or we have focus groups, we have polling, and we have a good handle on this. Because the thing with social media and even the news cycles, as you know, is they change so fast, so quickly that it's really tough for these companies to keep up with what's being said about their brand or their industry or their competitors. And not having kind of their pulse on that can put them really kind of in, in on the back foot. I think the second thing would be there's some companies where I've worked with them and, and they say, well, we're not really on social that much or social is not really part of our strategy. But going back to my point I made earlier, that's all I mean, all well and good for your, your marketing strategy, but that doesn't mean people aren't talking about you on social. So just because you yourselves are not out there or your CEO doesn't tweet or, you know, or have a social presence, that does not mean that there isn't a ton of data out there, you know, good and bad about your company. So I think the, a lot of people kind of think really provincially there. And I say, thirdly, and this is something that we've really seen bubble up over the past, I would say, year and a half or so. I know it was a big topic at Davos. Um, I was on a panel there with my CEO, Sharp, and this came up quite a bit, which is, you know, consumers today are, you know, shopping with really strongly defined values. You know, it's, it's really that, you know, the use that we're seeing, they're doing things like, you know, actively seeking out information, checking websites. They want to know that the companies that they're buying for stand for something. And that can put companies in a really tough position because they're kind of damned if they do, damned if they don't. We've got a couple of, you know, great examples of CEOs who have spoken up on social issues and it's, you know, maybe initially their, their stock's taken a hit, but then they've actually made out really great in it, you know, in the situation. But then there's others that if they don't say anything and they stay on the sidelines, they can be called out for that as well. So it's a really tough environment for companies right now, particularly with what I mentioned in terms of, I think it's something like close to 50. It's like 42%, 43% of, of millennials are now really seeking out that information before before they buy. So I think that's a big change that we're seeing, you know, you know, in, in, in the current environment. Yeah, it's really fascinating to sort of watch it you know, how media is sort of changing in response to, you know, what the consumer sort of expects from from industry. I, I'm thinking back just a couple of years ago when there was this sort of 
buzz and co- controversy about all of the Super Bowl commercials that suddenly they were mm-hmm. they were mixed race couples and non-traditional types of couples who were and families presented for the first time and the, you know the brands you know people sort of question the brands and they're like we're reflecting what we see are the people who who buy our products so for some people it was kind of a wake-up call it's like this is through our media through our uh the the behind the scenes that the um the the companies with their products and the way they want their product products to be representative are sort of changing the the storytelling i guess the narrative of, of uh, marketing and advertising is kind of fascinating to see it go on and then likewise even something more recent with the um you know the florida shooting that just companies that have come forward and said that they're no longer to be carrying you mm-hmm. know uh, certain certain firearms you know, in reaction to that. And on the one hand, you, you you could think back, you know, maybe 10, 15, you know, 20 years when people that a company would, would really kind of maybe struggle over that. But, you know, stepping forward mm-hmm. and, and recognizing, okay, well, we've got to protect our brand, but we've got to say something about who we are. And this is an opportunity right. for, for us to say who we are. We're going to lose people, but we're also going to either keep or, or get new people. You, you talked a little about, a little bit about, you know, so well, we talked a lot about social media, but these, uh, that there are levels of social media, and we, we think about Twitter and, and mm-hmm. Facebook and stuff, but there, there are places like Reddit and 4chan and other places where there's a lot of dialogue going on and things that, that companies don't always always track. So and I'm, I'm saying these things. I'm not, I'm not sure what my question is going to be with it. <laughs> how, you know, how difficult is it for a company now to sort of get a real sense of, of what their brand stands for in the environment? This is a lot of work that we do is we almost call it a kind of a foundational report. So we'll go in and do an assessment, almost like a brand health check or a foundational report. We'll go in and get a really good understanding of some of the things I've already mentioned in terms of how your brand is perceived. What are you doing right or wrong in the eyes of your consumer? What are they you know, what are the things they're talking about when they talk about your brand? All that is really crucial information for comms, executives, marketing, even for a lot of times we'll pick up on employee chatter, which can be really helpful for brands to understand how their own employees, you know, who they're the best marketers, right, when your employees talk about your brand. So all of that is really you know, it helps us give a foundational sort of starting place for them. And then when we see there could be opportunities or risks, it's really then easy for us to go in and, you know, we don't provide any strategy because we're Switzerland. We provide the the insights and the intelligence. We provide everything that we do is data back. So it's, we have the data to show why we've come to these conclusions in this, in this analysis. But what we do provide is in, in a form that's very actionable. So because it is data-led, it's really hard to refute sort of, again, going back to the truth in context. We've got it there. We're just providing the context there for you. So brands just need to be, I think we've talked a lot about this earlier, they just need to be aware that there is quite a lot going on to your point, not just, you know, if you think about the landscape as an iceberg and you've got the tip of the iceberg being mainstream media, and then you've got just below that the Facebooks and the Twitter. Even that part is difficult for brands to keep up with. And you had mentioned kind of 4chan and Gab and Reddit and others. We have skilled Reddit specialists on staff. That's all that they do. They live and breathe Reddit. And it is a really, really amazing skill to have. We've worked with clients who have said that they have people on staff that, you know, they will get lost for hours and not be able to even come up with anything. So being able to navigate, for us to be extensions of our clients' teams and be able to navigate and, again, forensically look at this content pull it apart, make it, you know, only like a journalist can, kind of making sense of it, and then kind of 
providing that qualitative context of what this all means to you is super important for them to be able to do anything with. When I was in, in J school way, way many years ago, I remember being in a um, PR class and I remember one of the things they were talking about, they, they, they talked about a scenario where you're a, an airline and there, there, there was some big story that happened or, or some person called in and complained then the whole class sort of went back and forth about, oh, well, you could do this, you could do this, you could take this out. And, and the, one of the things the instructor tried to stress was sometimes the first thing you need to do is sort of stop and sort of assess if this is a real problem, as mm-hmm. opposed to just immediately jumping at, you know, what, what mm-hmm. is a perceived problem. I know in lots of different ways that we've talked about how digital media has kind of changed media and the speed of response and things like that. Is that a real concern with in sort of responding to these types of actions? I mean, we've talked here about a lot of things happening very quickly. Is there time mm-hmm. for, for people to sort of think and assess and maybe not take action or, or maybe take a slower action? Or is it more that you need to get on top of this as soon as you can in order to, to mitigate, you know, what, what could happen? Yeah, I think the risk that a lot of people would take if they're just only relying on, you know, a dashboard, for example, like a traditional social media dashboard or clipping service or, you know, traditional monitoring service on news, they're they're not going to have that ability to really understand if it's, you know, growing at a speed that could be concerning, if it's crossing demographics. So is this being talked about by, you know, 80-year-old women and 25-year-old men, if once it crosses demographic, once it crosses platforms, so there's certain things that we'll look at, again, all about context, that'll tell us, you know, okay, this is something that needs to be addressed as opposed to much of what we talked about earlier. These are just the same people tweeting back and forth. It's an echo chamber. They're not, you know, they're not really having any impact. No one else is engaging with them, or it could be a bot. So that without having that, at the ready, it's really tough to make decisions. And, you know, we, we mobilize, like so much of the work we do is, is crisis. So we mobilize within hours and can give, start actually feeding and giving them actionable analysis, you know, right away. So, you know, I, I love my job. I love what we do. We genuinely help the clients that we work with. I get a lot of fulfillment out of that. It's tough. It's a tough kind of place to be for the clients that we work with. We, you know, keeping up with all of this and we're only one input, right? So they've got a bunch of other stuff they have to look at, but it's very unlikely that clients can do this effectively on their own. A lot of the work we do is with agencies. Our biggest partner is actually Weber Shanwick, which is a partnership that's a little over a year old. And through them, we've worked with a number of different clients from crisis, you know, to reputational kind of insights. And Having the ability to see how impactful our work is for their clients and for them as an agency, it's uh, it's really mind-blowing. I mean, this is a, the feedback that we get back from them um, just in terms of giving them what they need to make decisions quickly. It's the same way we help the editorial desks that we work with on the, on the media side. You know, our journalists are finding not only breaking news content, we're verifying it, making sure that it is what it, they, we say it is, and then we're providing context. It's not just here's a piece of content. It's here's why this matters. Here's what this means. And they can act quicker on, you know, quickly on that, on that because it has a context. Is there any trend that concerns you as this, you know, I mean, I think you mentioned looking back over the last, you know, year and a half, two years, things, things seems to be sort of ramping up 
maybe mm-hmm. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think it, that was kind of the sense that that things are happening. Is there anything that concerns you about sort of the environment now in in, in social media and the way journalists and and companies have to deal with this this uh, environment? Yeah, I think it's you know we're seeing an increase in these bad actors, and we're seeing very sophisticated mobilization around. And a lot of times, with the same groups of people, and we're seeing this both on the news side of our business as well as on the corporate side, my side in terms of risk verification, where you've got you know most it's mostly always financially motivated. A lot of it's alt right, but it's people who are mobilizing to either boycott a brand or to attack an executive. Ultimately, they want you know the stock to move because of it. I don't know if you, this is a, probably a little over a year ago, but uh, a cryptocurrency company, Ethereum, they lost $4 billion in about a day because of fake news about the CEO dying. I mean, he eventually came onto Twitter and, you know, showed a, you know, showed the newspaper of the day or the day, today's date, it was a picture, I should say, on Twitter. And, you know, you, we'd be fooling ourselves to think someone didn't make money off of that somewhere. And we see that all the time with, you know, I think you mentioned kind of the NFL and take a knee and how that was started out as a more of a Black Lives Matter issue, but was quickly turned into a veterans issue or support our troops issue. So these sweeping changes that can happen, a lot of them from social and the polarization right now, really our society, not just in America, globally. And social has been really at the heart of a lot of that. So it is, those are just a couple of things that scare me, you know, scare the clients that I work with. You know, it, it is, a, it's, Whenever there's kind of um, a place where you can hide behind something in a fast-paced environment, stuff can can get really, you know, challenging to sift through. So that's why our teams are, you know, we have a tremendous amount of technology that we, we that we employ that are that's proprietary, but we also leverage third parties. It's so much at the heart of what we do, you know, so that we can continue to be. I know you mentioned the United Airlines videos earlier. I'm proud to say Storyful found actually. Two of the three first. The third one we we found as well, but we were the only ones to get the actual source correct. So again, going back to the veracity, which is so important to us, finding that truth. We are like to think of ourselves as being kind of ahead of the curve there, and really trying to think <laughs> if we can think ahead of of what these bad actors might be doing next. It's it's a challenging environment for sure. Well, now I'm scared. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Carrie, don't be scared, Michael. We're on the case. Don't be scared. Okay, good. We'll that's, save you. That's that's <laughs> that's all I need to know. Carrie, thanks for coming on the podcast. This has been great. Thank you so much for having me, Michael. It was great talking to you. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the changing state of digital news. Find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Podcast One. If you'd like to get a peek behind the scenes of our podcast, check out our weekly email newsletter. If you go to our website, itsalljournalism.com, and follow the link at the top of the page, you can sign up for our newsletter, find out about upcoming episodes, some projects we're working on, and maybe even some stories we think are worth reading. While you're on our website, be sure to check out our Patreon campaign and find out how you can help support our website. It takes a lot of people to put together an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicole Agrisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. It's All Journalism is produced in partnership with the Association of Alternative News Media. Thanks for listening. What's Working in Washington podcast 
with your host, Jonathan Aberman. We share this region's innovative, entrepreneurial, and creative spirit. This podcast tells impressive stories of passion and spunk taking place here in the D.C. region. It illustrates how the nation's capital is anything but the stuffy, bureaucratic, politics-only reputation it tries to shed. The What's Working in Washington podcast. Find it on iTunes, the Podcast One app, podcastone.com, or at WTOP.com. Search Podcast DC. The Finish the Game podcast with your host, Sean Alexander. Draw play to Sean across the 10, the 5, touchdown Seahawks. Hey, this is Sean Alexander, NFL MVP. Check out my podcast, Finish the Game, where I discuss sports and life lessons helping you become an MVP. The Finish the Game podcast. Find it on iTunes, the Podcast One app, podcastone.com, or at WTOP.com. Search Podcast DC. 